Hey, as a part of our sermon series on womanhood, I recently gave a sermon slash Bible study on three commonly used Bible verses that limit the role of women in the church and in the household. But as most of you know, there are more than just three verses that complementarians use to assert that the idea that men should have authority over women. And I couldn't fit all of them in a sermon because the sermon was getting really, really long. So I asked you uh, if you had any verses that you wanted me to address, and I received two. So today I'm going to go over those two verses. And first I'm going to start with Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. I will make the woman's pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, this verse is an example of where context, like where the verse is found in the Bible, is very important. This verse that I just read right now is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Now, chapter 3 begins with the fall of humanity. The woman and the man both rebelled against God, and so they hid from each other and from God. Basically, they're playing hide and seek. Then, when God finds the man, he says, it wasn't my fault. It was a woman you gave me that made me take that bite. Then the woman tries to defend herself. She says, it's not my fault. It was a serpent that made me do it. And so you can see there is no ownership of their mistakes. And so they're playing the blame game. Then from verse 14, God begins to proclaim the curse they brought upon themselves. Now this bit of info is very, very important because from this point on to the end of the chapter is basically God describing the kind of world that humanity created for themselves. First, he turns to the serpent and tells it that it is cursed for the rest of existence. Then he turns to the woman and tells her that, among other things, that her desire will be for her husband and he will rule over her. See, God is not teaching her a lesson on what he believes that the ideal of humanity should look like. He's proclaiming the cursed state she will be in until women are redeemed. He's not saying that man being over a woman is the way that a family should be. He's saying that this is the chaos that you created for yourself. Now, fast forward to today. We are Christians and we are people who have been redeemed by Jesus, by God himself. We are people who are to live as if the curse has been lifted, that the curse has been dissolved because of Jesus' death on the cross. So when people use Genesis 3.16 as proof that men should rule over women, just keep in mind that it is not God's ideal. It is a cursed state that we are freed from. So in the church and in the family, men should not rule over women, period. All right, next we're going to talk about 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. This is a weird and long one and requires a lot of explanation, so let's get started on that one. Here, Paul says, I also want the woman to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness, and propriety. Okay, so this passage at first glance seems to be saying that women are second-class citizens. They aren't even allowed to dress nicely. It seems that Paul is saying, hey, when women, you know, who are the daughters of Eve, who are the original troublemakers, if they want to learn or speak Make sure that they're behaving, stay quiet, and they keep on bearing children. So is that what Paul's really saying here? Well, let's take a look at each of these verses. Let's break it down, starting from the very beginning, verse 9. I also want women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearl or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Now first, this is not a verse about dress codes for women. 
A New Testament scholar N.T. Wright puts it this way, Women must be set free from their stereotype, that of fussing all the time about hairdos, jewelry, and fancy clothes. Dr. Wright continues on to say that Paul isn't telling the women that they should have a more dull fashion sense in the church. You see, what we have to understand that the culture back then was similar to ours in the sense that certain types of people, in this case women, were expected to dress a certain way in that culture. So let's just say hairstyle was the way to show how important a woman was. Then it'd be natural for a woman to spend time and money on the way that their hair looks. So Paul here is saying, don't waste your time on that. We aren't here to see who is greater than who. Rather, if you have the time and money, spend that time and money and effort on making your community better. Stop playing the who's better than who game and care for those who are in need. According to Dr. Wright, the phrase good works implies the social obligation to spend time and money on people less fortunate than oneself to be a benefactor of the community through helping public works, the arts, and so on. Spend more time on that and less time on trying to impress the people who are judging you by the way you look. All right, let's move on to verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Dr. Wright says this, The key to the present passage is to recognize that it is commanding that women too should be allowed to study and learn and should not be restrained from doing so. They are to be in full submission. This is often taken to mean to the men or to their husbands, but it is equally likely that it refers to their attitude as learners of submission to God, which of course would be true for men as well. What Dr. Wright is saying here is that the verse has no object. It just says that women, that's the subject of the sentence, should learn in full submission, that's the verb, and it omits the object. Who are the women supposed to submit to? Complementarians immediately assume that the object of this command is men, but that would be reading a little too much into the text. So what we need to do is look at the context. In its context, women were not allowed to learn, receive proper education in that culture, and Paul is giving women permission to learn more about God, just as the men are. It was the men's custom to learn quietly and full submission to God, and Paul is saying that women have the right to do the exact same thing. Now, verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Oh boy, okay. So this verse also needs to be read in context. Paul is not saying, hey, women should not teach men. Rather, what it is saying is that women are allowed to learn just as men. That was the previous verse. But I'm not implying that women are the new authority figures of the church. Just as men shouldn't rule over women, women shouldn't rule over men. Now, wait a minute, Cuts, you're probably saying. How did you get that out of that verse? Well, to understand this, we have to understand the culture in which this was written. In Ephesus at the time, one of the main religions that met in the biggest temple in that region was called the Temple of Artemis, or Diana. And as you probably guessed, the deity of the worship there was a female god or a goddess. And this meant that the leaders of the temple were all priestesses. The woman ruled and kept the men in their place. So just imagine if you're Paul writing to Timothy a letter about how men need to let women study, learn, and lead like men, someone may get the impression that Paul is telling the woman to rule the men, just like in the temple of Artemis. Paul wants a man and woman equality, not one over the other. Paul wants men and women alike to develop whatever gifts of learning, teaching, and leadership God is giving them. So in verse 11, Paul's uplifting women and verse 12, he's telling them to not get too carried away with that. On to verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. In order to understand this verse, we have to have a basic knowledge of Genesis chapter 3. And there, 
you might recall that it was the woman who was deceived by the serpent. Now, Paul is making a case in this verse that the woman didn't know that God commanded Adam not to eat the forbidden fruit. And so, not educating women had major consequences. Women need to learn just as much as men do. So Paul is saying, let the woman be educated. Oh, and at the same time, he's also taking a little jab at the men here. He's saying, hey, by the way, the man, that's Adam, he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew it was wrong and he still deliberately went ahead and took the bite. And finally, verse 15, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness, and propriety. Now, this verse alone can be discussed for hours, so I'll do my best to simplify it and shorten it. So a long time ago in the first century, women often died in childbearing. There's pain leading up to giving birth, and death might be right around the corner as you're giving birth. And so this was the curse that was described in Genesis chapter 3. But Paul here is saying that he doesn't see childbearing as a curse anymore. He sees women as crucial partner in God's world because they're contributing to God's creation. So if the curse of childbearing isn't a thing anymore, then men ruling over women shouldn't be a thing anymore either. So Paul is saying right here that as long as you, whether male or female, follow Jesus in faith, love, and holiness, and propriety, God's salvation is with you. So there you have it. And before I wrap this whole thing up, I just want to say, it's just a side note on interpreting scripture. If you read 1 Timothy from beginning to end, you may pick up on Paul's heart, which is that he loves the church. He wants to build it up by building up men and women, women and men alike. But when we read small portions of the Bible, we might miss that. So it's important for us to first set our lens to the heart of the writer, which is Paul, so we can interpret it with those eyes. I'm just saying, this is just a tip on how to read scripture. Well, man, that last sermon and this video has been like a fire hose of information for you. So feel free to watch it again if you missed anything. Or if you have any questions, you can email me at kotsatwestsite.org and I could try to explain things further. Or maybe if you have another separate question, that's okay too. So I hope all this was helpful. Take care.